0: All right, well good morning. good morning. It is it has been a very good morning. We appreciate what the Lord gives us. It's the like I say, this is the sunum bonum of the week. It is a day of rest and it's a day to worship God and a day to honor Him and be with God's people. What could be better, right? Amen. And uh, we happen to move along in our journey through the gospel of Luke. And we are in chapter 6. We come to, uh, like I said last week, a very critical moment now in the gospel story of this ministry of Jesus. The reason it's critical is that He's choosing the most intimate of His disciples. People who followed Him were called disciples. Then there were the 12 disciples uh, or known as the 12 apostles. Luke already uses that in Luke 6. It's uh, very crucial because Christ has to have some people to carry on this Gospel. The cross of Christ and the good news of that, the resurrection of Christ. and They're going to be giving the message that uh, Jesus spoke about how they can be taken out of their sins and be graced by God. And so, all throughout the history of the church, we see men and women who take the Gospel to the east and the west and the north and the south, all over. And for 2,000 years it's been that way. Uh, Had God not designed it that way, He would have done something else. But it couldn't be any other way because He did it the best way. He did it God's way. And that's the way He works. He uses mankind to continue this precious gospel. I will be honest with you, I feel inadequate when I think of this precious truth and I am to handle this with care. Sometimes it can scare me to death when I really think how serious this gospel is. And we cannot play fast and loose with it, can we? So um, we know that Jesus knew he was going to be killed, he's going to be crucified. He knew about the resurrection. Uh, and it's happening quick in his ministry. They've already wanted to kill him, they wanted to kill him in his hometown. Or uh, unbelievably. Uh, they are wanting to kill him and through chapter 5 and through chapter 6. They're devising ways to get him trapped and to show that he is not the one that they want, but he is. He's the Messiah. So uh, the problem that he has here is that none of the people that he's selecting are really qualified. Now I do put qualified in quotes, but if you were to look at qualified and you were to look at the way that man qualifies people sometimes it's a little different than the way that God has in mind and of course I said last week the ones who were qualified by our thinking would have been the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious authorities, the scribes the ones who taught the word, who knew the word and uh, they would have been the ones that you would have thought that would be following the Messiah. Well actually they're not really there to follow Him. They only follow Him in trying to get Him trapped and cornered. And I will tell you that really they were not qualified. None of us are really qualified when you really think about it. But you know what? We can identify that we're not qualified because as you progress in your Christian walk, as you get older, as you get more mature, we sense our sin even more than we did before. And we realize that even though we know more about Christ, it seems like the less that we know, and we are to know Him and and to grow in grace and knowledge of Christ, but we we should be becoming sensitive to our sins. And of course, if you read the Puritans, they were sensitive of their sins and they cried out for mercy. Even though they knew they had salvation, they yet were ones who recognized it was all by the grace of God. And nobody is qualified to serve in the kingdom of God. Yet, this is exactly who God uses. The ones who realize they're not good enough to be qualified to serve in the kingdom of God. And that's who God uses. So, And He chooses these men. And like I said last week, that was our study in the first first section. It's 12 and 13, and we kind of got into 14. Um... These men are all that he really has to work with. <laughs> and we are all he really has to work with, because they're the ones that he chose. That's who he uses. You say why did he choose them? It's a good question. <laughs> it wasn't cause of anything they were doing great, or anything that we did. The Apostles were not qualified by any means, but God used them to lay down the foundation of the of the church. They were common. They were low class. They were uneducated nobodies. Nobody knew who they were. They were fishermen. Some of them were. Some did other things. They were tax collectors, otherwise known as sinners. Yet God develops them into apostles that are sent by Christ to further the gospel out into the rest of the world. They are the ones who laid that foundation, got revelation from God, directly laid down the truth. It's a written word, and we have the New Testament because of these men. And as low class as they were, they turned the world upside down. As we read in the Scripture, uh, this is who He has to work with. They are unlikely. They are the ones He trains. And it takes a supernatural power to transform people into saying and doing the things that they did, they were flawed, they were sinners. you go back and you look at Noah, did God use Noah? oh yes, a huge way was he flawed? oh yeah, yeah, we see sin, we see his drunkenness even later on Abraham, Abraham, even though he's a man of faith at at times he used little white lies a couple of times and lied about his wife and being a, a sister and half lies, I guess you could say. A lie is a lie. Isaac, you see the weakness in him and you see Jacob. Oh Jacob has what is his name? It's Deceiver. And then of course he later is named to Israel, one who wrestles with God. He wrestled with God, literally. And uh, spiritually, he and the 12 um, tribes of Israel later on, it goes right on through the history of Israel, they wrestled with God. And so we, uh, last week we discussed the choosing of the 12. He had to pray about it. Jesus had to pray about this. He goes to the Father. goes to the Father frequently. goes to the mountain frequently. Goes up and these he's he wants to get quiet. He wants to know the will of God, but yet he is God, but he's man. He's in human flesh, and so and he's always uh, the triune God is always communing together, aren't they? And they agree on everything, and so prayer was so important. So he concentrated on the prayer and and the calling of these men. It's very important. It's key to what happens after He dies, resurrects, and ascends. And uh, He starts introducing... um, That's what we started to do last week. Introducing these men. We had uh, Peter and Andrew who are brothers. We talked a little bit about them, but I have to back up now and go back to Peter because we can't just cover him lightly in five minutes, which is about what I did last week. And I I told you that, honestly, we're going to have to go through uh, these guys maybe a little bit slower, especially this guy Peter, because he has more written about him than anybody, doesn't he? Everybody knows that. And uh, he spoke a lot. And uh, he has quite the prominence in the New Testament. We must look at key elements of his life. But as we look at Peter, we're really looking at Christ here, right? We're Christ-centered It's what Christ does as He chooses Him and then molds Him. He trains Him. So it's really about Christ. It's not about Peter. It's about Christ, but what we do is we see uh, Peter who is like a, a piece of coal. He's a lump of coal, but yet Jesus is going to turn him into a valuable diamond. And this story of Peter... It's just incredible what God does. And to be honest with you, this is what He's doing with us. We would never think of ourselves as being Simon Peter. uh, But a lot of people can identify with him. And um, We'll take a look a little bit about him. I'll introduce him a little bit and then we'll get into the text here. Uh, Really the text is uh, (laughs) one verse, just a couple of words probably. Uh, But we have a lot of text to go to as we do that. We're we're expository, but we're going to slow down just for a few moments. And not every apostle has much about them at all, or anything. Sometimes just their name. Simon Bar-Jonah, he's known. Simon the son of, Bar means son, of Jonah, or Jonas, or John. His father's name was John. He was from Bethsaida. That's where he was raised. He later went to Capernaum in his fishing business that he had with Andrew. That's on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. And so they had quite a lucrative uh, fishing business. They must have done pretty well there. Um, We think about uh, that. We think about um, Jesus saying, I'll make you fisher of men. He was a fisherman of fish. And he is going to be a fisherman of men. Jesus is going to make that happen. He's also known as Cephas because Jesus kind of gives him another name. And you can say, Cephas? I thought it was Peter. Well, you'll see Cephas sometimes and that's in the Aramaic. And that means the same thing as the Greek word Petros. Um, Petros is rock, uh, stone. Now... um, Cephas, Aramaic, Petros, or Peter. Petros, Greek. Why did Jesus call him stone? Rock. Well, he really isn't a real rock. He's vacillating. He's changing. He's just all over the place sometimes. And it's kind of interesting that in a general secular way, you'll see the name Peter being used by uh, Jesus. And sometimes it'll be Peter. Sometimes it'll be Simon. Sometimes when he calls him Simon, he uses the old name as whenever Simon has been in sin. Not trusting God. Or you know, something that is not really glorifying God. Now it's not always the case. Not always is that. But often it is. He's rock. He's rocky. When he was in the will of God, you would see him often being the rock. Petros. The rock. Rocky. Let's look at Luke 22, verse 31 for a moment. Simon. Simon. Calls him Simon here. Be Uh, Behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail you when once you return again, strengthen your brothers. This is Simon here. Why is that? Well, we'll get into that later why he does that. But that's whenever Simon is thinking earthly. And uh, uh, actually... uh, it's going to be a denial here by Peter. Jesus, knowing him, calls him Simon. Could be the reason. Look in Mark 14.37. He came and found them sleeping. This is whenever Jesus is praying against You Remember that? This is the very night that He's rested. He's praying. And the disciples that he chose to be up there with him are sleeping. Now, you notice Mark calls him Peter. So he said to Peter, But what does Jesus say? (laughs) Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't couldn't you keep watch for an hour? (laughs) So there, you know, that shows you a lot of the times, not always, but most of the time, he calls him Simon whenever he is doing less than the will of God. Makes sense, doesn't it? I will tell you that Peter, obviously, is a leader. Sometimes it sure doesn't look like that. Before he knew Christ, he didn't seem to be quite the leader. But I will say that he was really a leader. Uh, If you look in Matthew chapter 10, this is a list of apostles. And just like I said last week, there are... Three groups of four. There are 12 apostles. There's three groups. Uh, in the first group is Peter, and of course Andre's brother, and James and John, who are brothers. Peter is always first in the list of the apostles. So you have the second group, and they will always start off with the very same person. They can be in a different order elsewise. And the third group is always going to start with the same one in all the Gospels. But Peter is the leader of all the apostles, and that's who he starts with. And so it says in verse 2, Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, Simon. And that's what he was known at that time. Who was called Peter. So Matthew says, oh, he's the one that's called Peter though. And then Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. And then it goes on down, down the list. But just, if you divide them up, four in each group, you have the three groups and those leaders. No, Peter is a leader. Uh, We are going to notice how Jesus develops him. We're going to notice that Peter speaks up a lot, sometimes out of turn, if you remember. (laughs) He's also uh, one who is, he's ready. He's just ready. Let's go. Let's do it right now. Come on. He was often reproved. He often uh, did the right thing. He confessed the Lord as the Christ, the Son of the Living God. And he's also rebuked because later on, you know, almost in that same time, you know, he um, he does something that is and says something that's not in the will of Christ there. Uh, He denies the Lord. So he's in this story a lot. Jesus sometimes would be a little bit hard on him. Reason being, this leader has to be shaped. Jesus has to get the attention. Sometimes he's harder on certain people than he is... Uh, on others. As matter of fact, He even called him not only Rock, but He called him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus shaped him. And that's really what our message is today. This is how Jesus works this. And if He did it to Peter, He did it to all the uh, other apostles. He's done it to every saint down through the church history, and He's doing it to us. He's working in us. So we want to focus on Christ here and focus on this rough piece of coal that He has and He shapes this coal into the diamond. Okay, I have you uh, usually turn to your passage in Luke 6 and stand, we'll read the Word of God, but like I say, our text is really short today. Let's stand, let's read it. I, I am going to pick it up where we were at last week to get this context back up into verse 12 after there are people in a great rage in verse 11 and they're discussing together what they might do to Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, now it's time to get some to ready because they're going to be killing me here shortly. It was at this time, at this time, that he went off to the mountain to pray. He spent the whole night in prayer to God, and when day came, he called disciples to him and chose twelve of them, whom he also named as apostles, Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. We'll stop there. Let's pray. Father, give us wisdom. We want to peer into your truth here and see not only what you did with Peter, but the apostles, through the rest of the church and what You're doing in our lives right now. You're shaping us. And Lord, there are times when You shape that it uh, it can hurt, it can be difficult. There are times when You shape that it's very merciful, very gracious. Sometimes it is something that we just take great comfort in and are strengthened. Most often that's the case, Lord. We thank You so much. May we understand Your character and how you do certain things in your kingdom so that we'll know you for this is eternal life in Jesus name amen. amen we go right into first of all the substance of a leader talking about this leader what does he do with Peter this leader by the way we're all leaders in the way of leading people to Christ aren't we not there's certain people in the church who are ordained to lead in teaching and preaching of it, but yet at the same time, just because it says leader does not eliminate you. So there's a substance of a leader. There's the uh, sense that there's experiences that leaders go through. You can identify with that. And then what the character is of a leader. So Peter had what it took to be a leader. He had what it took. He had the makeup. He had the DNA. God, long before the foundation of the world, put in Him this leadership aspect. And God knowingly did that. Put it in Him. That's what he does with all of us. Whatever our spiritual gift is, He puts it in us. He knows us full well what we're going to be about, what we are to do. And uh, But it takes the power of God to get results out of this. Peter could have been a leader all of his life, but the power of God doesn't come in him, how's he going to be able to use that great gift of spiritual leadership? So Jesus taught him. Jesus developed him. God wove the fabric. He's a sovereign God, isn't he? Every little detail that he needed, God used everything. He uses experiences, good and bad, and he uses everything to shape us. God works all things together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So that's what He does with Peter, and you'll see some pretty bad things in here. He uses. You'll see some good things. First of all, a leader has a desire to know. They just can't get enough. They want to know more. I mean, how are you going to be able to take a business and get, go further unless you don't? Unless you know certain things about what it takes for this to move on. Uh, A leader has a drive for knowledge. He wants to develop his craft. He knows that he can't sit still. He can't stop and be satisfied where he's at. He's got to keep being driven. There was an internal drive in Peter. Would you say that that would be safe to say? He did have that internal drive. He was inquisitive. He asked more questions than all the apostles did together. And so... That's the kind of um, guy that Peter was. Another thing is he had quick reactions. There can be a lot of good things that happen with quick reactions, quick decisions. Sometimes you got to make them, you got to do them quick. A leader has to do that. But because of that, a leader can make mistakes because he jumps right into things and uh, without thinking and just does it. Matthew 16.16 16. Here's a mark of a leader right here. Matthew 16, 16. Jesus saying, Hey, ask the disciples, who do they say that I am? You know, a lot of people are saying Elijah, you know, a prophet, and who do they say the Son of Man is? And John the Baptist? Jeremiah. Verse 15 he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Well, disciples are all around. Sometimes people ask questions, and sometimes people, nobody answers. You know, it's real quiet. And maybe it's just one of those kind of things to get people to think, right? Well, who do you say that I am? Here's who they're saying. Well, what do you guys say? Well, guess who speaks up? And Matthew reports it Simon Peter. Answer You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Now, that is a confession of faith. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's pretty amazing. I mean, he just spoke right up. Of course, Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, son of Jonas, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, there he calls him Simon. It's a good thing that he said. Jesus said, You're blessed. But there's only one reason why you said that. There's only one reason why you can say that you are Christ. You are the Messiah. You're the Son of the Living God. You are God. He didn't come up with that on his own. He wasn't that brilliant. It was because the power of God came in him, driven by the Holy Spirit, really. I mean, this this is powerful that he's able to say that. He didn't hesitate to answer that at all, did he? I bet he said it right on the heels of Jesus' question. Boom! There it is. Then we get John 18. This is this is Peter, the leader. But he's not a leader yet. But he he's being developed. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. Uh, Let's see. John 18, 10 and 11. Okay, you remember Jesus is arrested. You know that story, right? In verse 10, here they come. They're coming to arrest him. Simon Peter, then having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Don't you get it? I have to die. I don't need your protection. We don't need the sword. Put it away. There might be a time when you need a sword, but not now. And Jesus is so merciful and gracious. What does He do? Heals the man's ear. Boom. Right there it is. Peter's not going to get into trouble. Well, he is going to be later. But... (laughs) But... Yeah, aren't you? (laughs) Yeah. Oh my! But to just—I mean—he's ready to protect the Lord. He's ready to stand up for the glory of God, right? But he did it with really out without a command from Jesus. He just does it. He reacted quickly, didn't he? Very quickly. A leader also is involved in everything. Everywhere you look, Peter's pretty well there, isn't he? If something's going on, he's there. Leaders are known for being in the midst of everything. Whatever's going on. They're there. They're part of it. And of course, uh, you have the disciples. They're out in the boat. storm has happened. And here comes Jesus walking on the water. Jesus walking on the water. What do you do? Well, Peter's thinking, He's walking on the water. I believe in Him. I can walk on the water. Did He walk on the water? He did. He walked on the water. Matthew 14:29. Uh, verse 27, immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, "Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. <laughs> they don't know what they're saying. What's going on here? You've got a man walking on the water. It's not close to the shore. The liberals like to say, well, it was because he was walking on the water because it was right at the edge of the beach, you know, walking in the water. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is You, command me to come to come to You on the water. And he said, come. Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Well, we know the rest of the story, don't we? But seeing the wind... He became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, "Lord, save me!" Of course, that's the way it is in our, as far as our salvation is concerned. Lord, may we see our condition. I mean, it's a good picture there, but you know, Peter's already following him and such. The thing is, he became frightened. What did he do? He, you know, it's like he looks down, he sees the wind, sees what's happening, and he's frightened. And Jesus can take care of this. And he does. Immediately stretched out his hand, took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You know, easy to cut down Peter here, but who else went into the water? He was it. None of the other disciples. Jesus said, come on out. It's okay. You can do this too. But it also shows us that this is real. This is deep water here. You don't sink in water that you're walking on the beach, right? A foot out. Anyway my little knock on the liberals for the moment. have okay. <laughs> got to get one of those punches in, don't we? So he's involved in a lot of things. Um, Peter would do things, he would say things that sometimes were just pretty amazing. And other times, It made him look like a real idiot. (laughs) A leader is a pioneer. They do things and they get out in front and, and a lot of times they have success. But there are other times because they're out there, they are targets. And because they do things that sometimes people wouldn't imagine doing A mistake happens or they just come short of what uh, they were expecting and of course they get pot shots at them because they took that well because of who Peter is and what he did we know that uh, he denied the Lord three times we know that right and uh, of course where were the other disciples well they fled they ran they weren't even around Well, Peter got into trouble basically because he was trying to hang around Jesus. He was wanting to see what happened, but of course he had to say, you know, start saying, and we'll get into the scripture a little bit that uh, he really didn't even know the man, (laughs) you know, when it came time to stand up for him. But uh, he he was trying to stay close to Jesus. You have to commend him there. So, would you say that Peter had the substance, some kind of raw substance there, some kind of raw material that it takes to be a leader? We see him in the Gospels and we see some stumbling and some bumbling and we see some high points, but he has what it takes. Jesus can do some amazing things with that raw material. So the next thing it takes, not only is the substance that God puts in us, but this is one of the reasons why we're here on earth. He's going to give us experiences. Now he could have just said, okay, I'm going to save them and I'm going to zap them right on into the presence of God from here on. could have done that, but no, he couldn't have because he had a better plan. He had a design that we would go through this world we would go through some suffering and trials and tribulations, all at the same time rejoicing in it, and we're also witnessing and we're taking the gospel. He uses mankind to do that, so that's a, that's another reason there. All at the same time, the most important thing while we're here is to worship God, to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. Right? That's what we're about here on this earth, and to bring the gospel to people. It always starts with worship of God. That's the most ultimate. And there are experiences also along the lines while we live uh, this short time that we're here on earth. And the older you get, the shorter the time really seems. And you know what? That's okay. (laughs) I look forward to that day when he comes back or he says, it's time. There were experiences that Peter needed to be shaped, to take this substance that we looked at, this raw material, and turn him into the kind of leader. So he's going to be experiences now. How's he going to react to these different things? Well, in John 6, I take it as another high moment. John 6, Jesus says he's the bread of life after he just did an amazing miracle of feeding thousands. Next day, people are all after him and they want to be fed. They want to be fed every day. This guy could take care of us. We you know, we saw him multiply food. They're out looking for him and he's trying to stay back and get away because he knows why they're coming. They're not coming there for the truth. They're coming there for what they can get out of him. God takes that seriously. It's what we believe about him that is so key. Jesus said some things. He says, you must partake of me. You must eat of my flesh. Drink of my blood. Now, that sounds like cannibalism. And that's why the church in the early church days, in the history of the church, was made fun of and ostracized, persecuted because they were believed to be cannibals who ate flesh and drank the blood. That is not true whatsoever. That's not part. Jesus said, "You have to partake of me, all of me." So he, rep- his blood, his flesh, represents who he is, not physical. And so when he said that, and they're wanting the bread physically, they're wanting the food. They want to have a great picnic here, a festival. My, it was a great festival they had yesterday, and we. Pick it up in verse 64. But there are some of you who do not believe, is what Jesus says. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were and who did not believe. All these people would say, We believe, we believe in you. And who it was that would betray him. He even knew Judas. Well, he had, these are disciples, and these are much more than the twelve. It's a huge crowd. Of disciples, He was saying, for this reason, look at this folks, I have said to you that no one can come to Me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Did you catch what He just said? Nobody's going to come to Christ unless the Father gives those ones that He elects to Jesus. This made people very angry and very, very mad. Now Jesus has already said some things that were difficult. He says in verse 37, this is good, all that the Father gives me, all that the Father gives me will come to me. What's that mean? The ones who are His guaranteed will come to Christ. Who are the ones who will come to Christ? They're the ones that the Father gives to the Son. And the one who comes to Me, I will certainly not cast out. He will not reject them. He will not reject their confession of Him. All the ones who come to Christ are the ones who are drawn. If you look down at verse uh, 44... No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws Him and I'll raise Him up on the last day. He has said these statements in John 6, folks. One of the greatest chapters on dealing with election. The only ones that come are the ones that the Father gives the Son. The Son will keep them for the Father. You come because the Father draws you. And He comes back and repeats this in verse 65. For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to Me unless it has been granted Him from the Father. There were a lot of people confessing Jesus with their mouths, but there was nothing here and He knew it. He knew what was in their hearts. I think that's going to cause problems, Jesus. If you say that, you're going to lose your crowd. Yeah, yep. usually do. Verse 66, as a result of this, many of His disciples, not the twelve, "...withdrew, and were not walking with Him any more." They showed who they were. They weren't the elect. They were not the ones that the Father gave the Son, and that the Son would protect and lead and guide them. So Jesus said to the twelve, "...you do not want to go away also, do you?" Simon Peter answered Him. It's Simon Peter answering, "...Lord, to whom shall we go?" You have words of eternal life. Where else would we go? You have the word. You are the word. You are eternal life. Anything else is nothing. That's Peter. I say this is amazing what he just stated. They're all leaving. They're going down the hill or up the hills, just departing and they're they're really angry, shaking their heads and Peter saying, "You are Lord. There's no other place to go." You have words of eternal life. We have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Is that a great confession? That's a leader who spoke right up. Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. Now he met Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Jesus knowing full well that Judas was going to betray him put him into the crowd of the twelve apostles. Yes he did. This guy was a fake. He was good at it too. But he never faked Jesus. Jesus knew all along. There are people who are fakes that appear to be in the body of Christ. They say right things. They do right things. But there's nothing here. But what did Peter do? He took on like being a spiritual leader here. I say, Peter is showing some things. He's learning some things, isn't he? How was he able to say that? The same way he was able to say, Thou art the Christ Son on the living God. It was God that gave him the words to say that. And the feeling, the emotion, anointing. Turn back to Matthew 16, 16 and 17. We read this earlier. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God, right? Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. We've already spoke about that. Peter is a stone. Peter is a rock. On this, you are a Petros. But he also says that there is a big, massive stone Verse 18, I also say to you that you are Peter, you are Petros, and upon this rock, Petra, not Petros, not a little stone, but a massive rock, I will build my church, the body of Christ, the called out ones, ek, out, klesia, to call, clay, call, let called out ones. The church. We're the church. We're the called out ones. I will build my church. Is it on Peter? The Apostle Peter who becomes a Pope? No. <laughs> no. And that's what the Catholic Church would lead for you to believe. That's a, a, a key ingredient. Peter is the first Pope. And it's all built upon him. That is a lie. And it is not what Jesus is saying here. He says, On what you have just stated, this is it. It's Christ. He confessed Christ, didn't He? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon this confession of faith, upon this person, Christ, I will build My church. People become believers. They say it. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. That's a great confession. Christ is the very rock here, right? We stand upon that. And so um, it was God who revealed that to him. Another great confession. Peter just brought it out in Acts 2. We're not going to turn there, but he gave a magnificent sermon. It was at Pentecost. He gave a sermon, gave the gospel, the truth about what who Christ is, and about what salvation is and what repentance is. God gave him the words to speak. Now this is after the death, burial, resurrection, just before the ascension of Christ. When you realize that, oh, Peter wrote two epistles, first and second Peter, the Spirit of God gave him inspiration to write the two epistles. And he wrote the very Word of God. He spoke it in that sermon using the Old Testament Scriptures. It wasn't the words of Peter, it was the Word of God. So, there's another thing, and we're dealing with the experiences, right? That experience is that he got direct revelation from God. We don't get direct revelation from God today. We... And we don't get inspiration, but we do get to get this clarified by the power of God. We can read this, and He can show us what His truths mean. Now, He also had a supernatural influence on people, didn't He? His message would be that the gates, uh, you know, as He gave the message, the gates of hell would would be like barred and the gates of heaven would be open. The gates of hell barred the gates to heaven open. This would be a great influence. People talk about ministry as being the highest calling. Why? Because the truth of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed and it shuts the gates of hell. The gates of hell cannot prevail if the gospel is being preached and the people who are going to receive it. The doors to heaven are opened up. This started with Peter, the apostles, and also for us today. As we preach the truth of the gospel, we tell that people are in their sins and they, are, uh, they have a, a judgment a sentence for them of eternal punishment. If they would trust in Christ... Because he's the only way, and because of his grace, he can get them out of that bad news of being s- sinners for their eternity, and that they can live with Christ. That's opening a door, isn't it? And the gates of hell cannot prevail against that. By the way, you know it's not like the gates are picked up by the enemy and they come out there. You know, and you don't fight with a gate, do you? Can you imagine that? It means when we go into the world out there, those gates. Aren't going to make any difference because we have the power of God to us. The gates are, we can go right on in and preach the gospel. And those gates are not shut to us. We go on in and we, we preach it, right, in that sense. It's not going to prevail. The doors of heaven are going to be flung wide open for people who will respond to that. So Peter did unlock the doors. First of all, he preached to the Jews on that uh, Pentecost Sunday. And how many were saved? 3,000. And then other thousands and thousands and thousands kept coming to Christ. They were drawn to Christ by His Word and the Spirit. So the Jews, we, we see in Acts 10, and for lack of time, we won't turn there, but in Acts 10 you have Cornelius. You still have Peter. The first 12 chapters is really focusing on the ministry of Peter as he delivered the Gospel to the Jews and to the Gentiles. He not only opened the door to the Jews, but He went to Cornelius, a Gentile, and his family and some other friends and relatives that were in that area who were Gentiles, and He opened up the Gospel to them. And that's showing you what Jesus has said to the Jew and to the Gentile. To the Jew first, to the Gentiles. Old Testament says the same thing. Guess who is now opening it up officially? Peter. Had there been Gentiles saved before then? Yes. But as the church goes, now we have the official opening up of here. And so he opened the kingdom to them. Had nothing to do with his education, had nothing to do with his credentials, whether he was a fisherman or not, or his technique, the way that he spoke. He was just an average fisherman. Probably a little bit rough in his speaking. But it did have to do with the power of the Spirit of God, which takes the word of God and transforms people. That's truth. The truth of the gospel, it was open to the Gentiles. So would you say that Peter had a supernatural influence? Yeah, thousands of people came to Christ because he is preaching the word. That's what we do, we preach the word. Well, another thing about uh, him is that he was vulnerable to Satan. Jesus uses this experience. We're talking about the experiences that he had. That was; those are great experiences. Those supernatural influences and the revelation that came straight from God, right? But on the other side, Jesus tells him that, "Hey, hey Peter." Hey, apostles, they're going to deliver me up. I'm going to be killed. Peter answers back to Jesus. It was a bad idea. Peter says, I can't let that happen. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. No way, Jesus. Sorry, God forbid that this happen. We're not going to let you speak so negatively like that that they're going to kill you. I'm not going to allow it. That's kind of what Peter was saying. I think his leadership can kind of go to his head. <laughs> Jesus knows that. All leaders can have a pride. Peter needs to get that, get that beat out of him, doesn't he? Jesus is going to let him truly stumble. As long as I'm in charge, Peter says, not going to happen. I'm here. I'll protect you, Jesus. Jesus rebukes Peter. He turns says to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Pow! We've all heard this. Peter was just as available to serve Satan as he was to the Lord. We all are, aren't we? the greater potential that God gives us. And as we progress in our walk with the Lord, He gives us more opportunities to serve Him. And we can do that in a good way. We can do it in against God's way and do it our way. We have a potential to be used not only by God, but we have the potential to be used by the devil. Jesus said, you are a stumbling block. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but the way that man thinks. The way that humans think without God's input, without His will. That's that's the whole point, isn't it? We want to think like Christ. We want to have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is being in His Word, knowing it, and be able to respond when the time comes rather than respond the way that the flesh loves to do. The flesh, ooh, yeah, let's go. And we know that that is absolutely wrong. Peter did it. Jesus says, When you say that, Peter, you're hindering my work. He was the great hinderer. The great hinderer ultimately really is Satan himself. He was very brash. He was very self-confident. He needed to be knocked down a few loops, a few notches. And of course, we know that. This came out of Matthew 16, which is the same chapter where Simon Peter said, You are the Son of the Living God. And in verse 21, Jesus began to show, this is what we just talked about, He began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, be raised up on the third day. Uh Peter just despises us. Peter took him aside began to rebuke him saying God forbid it Lord this shall never happen to you not on my watch but he turned that wasn't in scripture I'm sorry but he turned and said to Peter get behind me Satan you are a stumbling block to me for you are not setting your mind on God's interest but man's and so there we have that story in Matthew 26. Another one of these failures. But God uses this, doesn't He? He uses it. Matthew 26, verse 30. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. Uh, I want to tell you guys something. You're all going to fall away. Because of Me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. That's right out of Zechariah 13. This is being fulfilled here. But after I have been raised, resurrection, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee. But, here's our leader, and here's an experience that he needed to have too. But Peter said to him, this is the rock here. You think, why didn't he put Simon? But here he says, okay, here's what the rock said to him. Okay. Even though all may fall away in front of all the other disciples, because of you, I will never fall away. Be careful there, Peter. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, "That wasn't enough." Peter says, "Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you." Well, all the other disciples said the same thing too. Because Peter said it, same way with us. There's no way we're going to mess up on this one. Well, they have to. It's part of the plan they're all going to fall away. All of them would flee. It's already in Scripture. It's already been said, I'll strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Accurate prophecy. The Word of God does come true. We know that it happens. And without going to the passage, we can all read that But because of various Scriptures that we use. Um, take my word for it. You've read it, haven't you? <laughs> you know what happens. Peter's saying, hey, I'm not like all men. I'm telling you right now. This. I, I, you know, I'm going to be right there. Jesus says, you're going to do it? And cockle broke three times. You're going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times. It's kind of interesting that Peter's saying, you're wrong, Lord. Even if I had to die with you, He overestimated his spiritual strength. Have any of us ever overestimated how good we are? Happens all the time. It can happen real early in our Christian walk. Almost immediately all the way through our Christian lives. We can overestimate that. We need to be humble. We need never to trust in ourselves. That's exactly what Peter was doing. Here was the Word of God coming straight from Jesus Christ. Right there on the spot, the Word of God was spoken to him and he trusted himself rather than what Jesus just told him. You i not deny me. And we know the story of it. Of course, by verse seventy-four, it's really sad, and he began to curse and swear. He's like he's saying, "Oh, come on, you know, I don't even know the man." Well, the 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 Galilean, who who are you talking about? I don't even I don't know him. Three times. Jesus had said, "Hey, after this, you know, of course, go up to Galilee. Wait." Means later on they're going. To, he, he's saying that I'm going to resurrect is really what his point is. But um, Jesus doesn't leave him there. That was a bad experience for Peter, wasn't it? He didn't forget that. But the mercy and grace and love of Christ is just overwhelming. He gets recommissioned after such a failure. Now I could understand. Jesus saying, "You know, I've just I've had enough of this, Peter. This I can't I can't believe it. I can't believe he won't he won't listen to me. This is really getting old, Peter. And I'm going to use somebody else. No, no, he's already been chosen to do this, and it's going to happen. So this is how he's shaping him. He uses big statements that Peter makes that's right, and then he uses." statements that are absolutely wrong. So we turn to John 21. The Lord is alive now from the grave uh, 40 days and He's on the last leg here before He sins. He sends in the Galilee. He says, uh, go up there and wait for me. They're just hanging around waiting. Everybody knows this. It's a beautiful story and I don't have time to do a verse-by-verse sketch on it, which I wished I could. It's a great place. I'm sure we have heard it many times, but just to remind you, the disciples are all... whoever's there, and Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. He knew he blew it. Now he's seen the risen Lord, but at the same time, this has really got him because he denied the Lord. It's still with him. And then they said to him, hey, we'll go with you too. What did Peter do before? They fished. Anyway, it... You know, he's doing something that he always did, but I don't think it's just recreational here. And yes, maybe they're hungry. Uh, and in the Greek tense, and the way it's the intent of it here is, I'm going back to my fishing. What does that tell you? This is what I did. I blew it. I'm just going to go back and do what I did. He's a broken man. He is a broken man with a contrite heart. I've got to go fishing. They follow. We'll come with you. They don't catch anything. Of course, we know that Jesus says something. They don't recognize Him. and Then John does, and Peter jumps into the water. Just like we were talking about earlier. Boom, you know, He wants to get there. And of course, the the net, 153 fish, right? great number of fish were caught. And they're probably hungry. i have been fishing. Didn't catch anything. Jesus has this fire going. There's fish already on it. Now they got 153 fish out there, but he's got fish there he can feed them right now because it's been on the fire. It's ready to eat. Peter was crushed. He had wept bitterly. Peter jumps out here and this is where Jesus comes to him. This is what Peter needed. Um, Verse 12, Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Isn't that nice? Uh, None of the disciples ventured to question Him. Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord Jesus came, took bread, gave it to them, and the fish likewise. Now this is the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after He was raised from the dead. Okay, now Christ gets to speak to Peter. So when they would finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I, of course we know the Greek word is phileo, he said to him which is love, tend my lambs Verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I, Phileo, I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's saying how many times do you have to ask? He, he was grieved because he said to him the third time. Some say because of the three denials, now you have this three here and it really rings a bell with Peter what's going on. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things you already know it you you can see my heart, you know that I what agape or or uh, we, we've had the agape, and now you have the phileo, right that's story anyway uh we're dealing with there still is the love. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself, now he's saying that you're not even going to be in control of your of your death." And then, you know it's almost like he's going, and he was. He was crucified by tradition upside down. But before that, he had to watch his wife, as tradition says, uh, as she was crucified, and he kept encouraging her, and you know, keep your you know keep your eyes on Christ is the idea. Anyway, um, he's recommissioned. Jesus is so merciful, so gracious. He's restored. He was a broken man, wasn't He? He was broken. Tend my sheep. Tend my sheep. Feed the flock, right? He once was too strong for ministry, too strong by His own thinking. But when you become weak, and here He was, It's when he became strong. Too weak, but not too weak to now proclaim the Gospel, whereas before, with the character that he had, can you imagine him taking out the Gospel to people after this? How much pride would have been showing? He's crushed. And you know what? When the Lord crushes His people, they're useful. The Lord picks him to use Him in such a way. And I'm going to close this out on point 3. and We've kind of been working through this, a lot of these passages. The standards are high for leaders. The standards are high for Christians. Number one, we could use so many different characteristics, but we're using humility here. A good leader is one who is not prideful, not boastful, but one who is humbled. He has a characteristic of humility. And if you look in John 13, you see the great example, the epitome of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples as He gets down on His hands and knees. And He washes their feet. Nobody does that. 1 Peter 5, 1-5, we see a shepherd. Peter was to shepherd the people, to feed the flock. And to be doing it with humility. He wrote his epistle. Dealing with humility. Secondly, love. What kind of love did Peter have beforehand? Well, it was a lot of self love. He was always first, it was always about him. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? And of course, all of them were saying, I'm the greatest, you know, we're the greatest. We want to sit at the right hand of the Son of God. John 13 34, 35. Same chapter where you have the washing of the feet. You have this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Not just me. Here's how you show you love me. You don't love just me. You love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Boy, was that key. This is the night before His death and He's telling them this. They had just been arguing on who was the greatest in the Kingdom. And then you have compassion. Jesus, you remember, and and we left you this, whenever uh, there was uh, Peter saying, no, 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 no. hey." This shouldn't happen to you, and I will always keep following you, and I'll I'll do it all the way to the point of my death. And then in Luke 22 verse 31, he says, "Simon, Simon, behold, right, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Be the leader that I chose you for." Be a shepherd, right? He returned him to ministry. He could have said, "Out of here!" Punted him right off the field, and yet he returns him to. He restores him. Isn't it great? God gives us second chances, third chances, fourth, fifth, sixth, hundred thousand. I mean, thank you, Lord. And then there's courage. And we finish up with this. This is a characteristic. This is a nature of a leader. This is a character of of a Christian. Peter was ready to go to martyrdom for standing for truth in Christ. When you see Peter in the book of Acts from chapter 2 or chapter 1 all the way through chapter 12, we know we see him in one passage where he says, as for me, we'll obey God rather than men. He was filled with courage. He was filled with God's Spirit. He was filled with God's Word. He said things that He didn't say before. He did things that He had never done before. Because when the, when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, He had the fulfillment of Christ living in Him. The Spirit of God. Turn to Acts 4.18. When they summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. You guys can get out of here. Your rest is done, but just don't say anything about Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to your, or rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. When they had threatened them further, they let them go finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man... Anyway, he had healed somebody. And Acts 5, there again, it's the the council there... The high priest questioned him, verse 28, saying, We gave you strict orders and not to continue teaching in the name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Jesus' blood, really. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging Him on a cross. Whoa! He is the one whom God exalted to His right hand as a prince and a Savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness. You notice? Repentance is granted to us. Forgiveness is granted, given to us. And we are witnesses of these things. So is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. We obey God with Him. I think He was very courageous. As Christians, we have the Word of God. Peter was a completely changed man. Wasn't he different than what you saw in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, and his epistles? What a change. He's indwelled by the Spirit of God, saying and doing things that he didn't say before. He was made into the man that Jesus wanted. This is what's happening to us. To make us useful, we have to be tools, we have to be clay pots in the hands of God we need to be broken He breaks us He lets us and our responsibilities be who we are but yet He's doing His work in us as He works in us we are to work it out you have the Spirit of God living in you go and glorify God today Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this story about Peter. It's a true story. It's truth. It's about the Christ and his church. It's all about Christ and his shaping. It's about his church because it's his. And one day, this church will be white and glistening with no spot, no wrinkle. It will be perfect And we'll be in the very presence of God seeing Jesus Christ as He is and being like Him. Help us to be obedient here while we're on this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.